Welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. I know it's kind of been a bit of a while, especially with the delay in the previous episode, but it was definitely a little bit of a quandary trying to not only organize myself, but organize a couple of other people to try and go through and get a collective perspective on our experiences over the con that we went to in the case of July. And even though it was incredibly fun, I probably should have made able to plan better to not only get one of those going, but as well as get another episode at the door in a timely manner, which is why I'm going to be doing this one back-to-back -back in a weekly sort of fashion before I end up heading back to the bi-weekly stuff. And of course, this is not the first time this has happened to me, but I can definitely apologize for the gap in between episodes, and I'll try and keep it more consistent now that we've got a crew going and going to be able to have the opportunity to finish up the episode and continue on with our podcast experiences, with our convention experiences, and maybe we'll get together for another couple of episodes, who knows. But at least for now, considering that it's been a couple of weeks since I focused a bit on the news, at least now there have been a few things that have happened more recently rather than late, considering that Right Stuff Anime just got purchased by Crunchyroll, and so... Not Crunchyroll, more so under the Sony umbrella, considering that it's one of the largest anime distributors inside North America. And they've been running this ship since 1987 as an anime retailer, and the fact that they're able to go through and now set themselves underneath the Crunchyroll slash Sony umbrella, they're really going and picking out and going through a lot of their so-called competition and other retailers to kind of get them all under one universal. And like most of us know, monopolies aren't necessarily the best thing, and when we're trying to think about the positives and the negatives about these, then mostly it's the negatives, considering that whenever there's an acquisition of this kind of set, there's always going to be layoffs, there's always going to be a drop in quality, even though the majority of their licenses are now going to be increasing thanks to them being a part of the Sony umbrella. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the distribution and the quality sides of things are going to be taking a turn for the better, even though there's a lot more money involved. Especially on top of the fact that even though I'm not really much of a guy that goes for the more erotic parts of any kind of the merchandise, those are also going to be completely stricken from that, as there's going to be a couple of... I still don't know what the erotica side of it's going to be, considering that there's another company that just popped up on the day that the acquisition happened, and whether or not they're underneath the same umbrella as Sony and they actually have deals with them, I don't necessarily know how that's going to change the rest of it on their side, because they're going to be covering the more smutty aspects of it, but it's just... I don't know, man. Like, seeing more and more of this stuff as it's become more and more popularized and in the mainstream where more and more of it is becoming underneath one umbrella and being a part of a greater collective where there's only going to be like one major company holding a lot of the rights to these as it continues to move forward that's not really the best case for anybody except the ones who are buying them outright but at least in the past couple of weeks with a couple of different conventions going on like otakuthon and anime revolution and anime north and all these other pieces having the opportunity to, to debut a couple of shows that haven't necessarily gone through. We still got another opportunity in getting a couple more trailers for Cyberpunk Edgerunners, which is going to be coming out later in the fall. Same deal with Chainsaw Man, as it ended up getting an October release date and a new trailer that ended up popping up and grabbing like fucking 50,000 likes over the under the span of an hour. People are excited. I'm excited. But there is no way that... Any of the hype that has been garnered over the past year for the adaptation of Chainsaw Man, none of it's going to live up to it. So if people are just satisfied with the adaptation, that is all I can hope for, considering that there is just so much weight put on this adaptation and put on this series that anything short of an anime of the year contender is going to leave a lot of people disappointed and be like, oh, well, everybody was hyping this up. Why didn't it live up to anybody? It's like... 
there's there's hype and then whatever the fuck Chainsaw Man has garnered, it, where it's just, I know I've been a part of it since chapter one ended up going through, and I really enjoyed the series throughout this run, but I'm going to have fun with it, for sure. Like, I haven't necessarily been keeping up since... I did finish the entirety of the manga, but I haven't gone back and reread anything past chapter two since it came out, which has been about four years. So it'll be kind of interesting, even though I know everything that's going to be happening, going through and re-experiencing the majority of this stuff that ended up popping up, especially in the early parts of the series, that's really going to be making for an interesting experience. I'm just hoping that everybody can just still have the opportunity to temper their expectations because it'll be an interesting, fun action romp and what people decide on it as it continues to go along is going to be up to them. And then I guess on top of that, in September, we're also got a date for Tatami Time Machine Blues, which is going to be popping up in Disney Plus in Japan on September 14th. So I would imagine at some point in time uh, in that season, we're going to be getting that uh, lined up and put out on the internet. If they decide to release it as a movie out here, I will be one of the first in line to go in and jump and jump to it. But I'm really curious to see how that's going to be related to and how it is going to be lining up. Because I'm definitely going to be re-watching the Tatami Galaxy since it's been eight years since I've gone back and looked at that. Even though I remember enjoying it and remember it having one of the most uh, cinematic and satisfying conclusions to a show that I've ever seen. I'm still going to have to go through and re-watch it again just so I have the opportunity to just have my put my thoughts on it in a different perspective. Because it's just... I watched that when I was in the middle of university, and now that it's been so far past that, giving me a new perspective with time and with age, I'm really curious to see what I think about it from that kind of lens. Even though I got a little bit of a taste of it with Night of Short Walk on Girl, I'm definitely curious to see how the rewatch is going to fare out, and how actually this sequel is going to be fitting in with the rest of the series as a whole. And then I guess a little bit of a tiny, there have been a couple of like manga adaptations or manga that are going to get adapted over the next couple of years. One of them are The Dangers in My Heart, which is kind of like a cute middle school romance about a really tall model and this little... Oh, how, do, how do I describe him? He's he's just like a small, socially introverted kid who gets wrapped up with her and a lot of her shenanigans, and so they end up getting to become friends and getting closer as the series moves on. And so it's a fun little addition. I like the cute art style towards the rest of the series, and now it's going to be getting an adaptation. So that's kind of nice. But in terms of adaptations that have been popping up, I was honestly thinking about doing, since normally my schedule is all right, I will do a initial impressions on the first couple of episodes of each season, and then I will do, you know, my thoughts and my retrospective once the season is over, and then follow that right back up with another set of impressions for the next season that's going to be popping up. And it was fine. It's just that almost all of the stuff in this is sequels that have essentially been going through, and some that I've been interested in waiting to see, and some that are just kind of like popping up out of nowhere that I couldn't really care about. I'm only watching six shows this season, which by comparison, is not a lot. And I guess I'll get the bottom of the barrel started. Uh, the new Ruby anime just dropped, and it is fine. It's a, It adapted parts of the first two volumes, and now it's going into an anime original story that takes place between volumes two and three, and it's fine. It's definitely been treated like more of a product at, like since the time Warner acquisition of Rooster Teeth as it's gone more and more. Seeing Warner in basically throw Ruby characters into a plethora of its products as collaborations with DC, with their fighting games, with their online uh, like Twitter debates. It's just, it's been more and more 
just accepted that now it is more of a property rather than a creative passion project that has been going through. And I believe we're, what, nine volumes in now? So it's gotten to the point where I know that at some point next year, what is it, nine or ten is going to be coming out, and I'll watch it because I am in here for the long haul. Like, if I've stuck around for this long, I might as well go week by week whenever the next season comes out and kind of see how it goes and see how it ends. Because it's... I would imagine the people who decided to check it out because it's like, oh, Ruby, that uh, thing, that anime-like thing that popped up in the early 2010s, it's like, how is that? And they were definitely enamored with... There was a cut in the first episode and a cut in the second episode that definitely made the runs through the internet, but nothing else is like that. Everything else is like, oh, standard product-esque anime dribble that is just so uninspired to the rest of it. It's like, well, it's Studio Shaft and Genorobuchi's name is attached to it. He didn't... It's the exact same thing as uh, Psychopath Season 2. He penned the initial ideas and then the dude who wrote the majority of whoever did Psychopath Season 2 is now the one who's doing the writing and the scripting for the vast majority of this Ruby adaptation. So it's like, I don't fucking care, dude. I'm just going to blitz through it at two times speed just to kind of see how this is going to be going through, but it's it's so much of a product and I can't necessarily get myself to care about it. On the opposite spectrum of that, the one that's airing on the same day as Yuri Deco, where it's interesting to say the least where it's kind of like kaiba in the degree that it's this colorful just high energy sort of deal where the idea of the future is a lot more grim than the story's tone sets it out to be where it's all these kids going through taking lessons online having their avatars and like going through this but underneath the veil of consumer and false information and if they didn't have the implants in their eyes, then basically the neighborhoods that they would be walking around would be bland, blocky, concrete community areas. And it's more the idea about what's underlining in the society that makes it interesting than the actual stuff that's being uh, being presented. So I know it's not Masaki Iwasa, but it is Sainsaru, and it. I'm curious to see what ideas it ends up pushing forward uh, coming on afterwards. And so I guess for the two, sequel, the two other sequels that I'm going through... Um, Devil is a Part-Timer Season 2 is coming out for the first time in eight or nine years, which is kind of insane. And it's fine. I don't think it's as funny or as good as I remember it being, considering that I remember it like being one of the better reverse isekai like fantasy comedies that ended up popping up in the early 2010s. But now there's not really much that I can just connect with or just attach to any of these characters where it's like the main joke haha the two main characters are like just got thrown a surrogate daughter and now they have to play family and it's like oh no she it's it definitely seems like it was written in the early 2010s or with the tropes that they were like going through and the main girl amelia i think her name is amelia like she's she was a good sundere at the time but now she's just average by comparison and you're just not really because it's not for the action especially the episode that i recently watched where it's like oh my god what happened to your faces even when i was running that shit at one and a half times speed it was not looking too good it was slow at one and a half like it, it and i didn't necessarily watch it for the action but there were moments 
in the original series where action was the forefront and actually made you either laugh or have a hype moment or just get you invested in the conflict at large. But for the moment, that's not really happening right now. And I'm curious to see how it ends with the angels that are going to be coming into conflict with the rest of our cast, but it's not as good as I remember the first season being, which definitely is understandable given the uh, break that it's been on for so long. And then the other sequel that I'm really interested in for different reasons is definitely Made in Abyss Season 2, because now we're flip-flopping between the present and the past with a couple of characters that have been throwing themselves into the group that have essentially been going through and either living or exploring this cave since way before there was a civilization surrounding Orth and the Abyss. It's definitely one of those things where Reg's past is coming more and more into question who he was as a person before his memories got wiped, how deep he really goes and what his origin's in. That's definitely what I'm more curious about. And so it's more sitting around now as like a Lovecraftian village where physical and mental currency is the norm and it's just fucking terrifying. It's doing the same thing where it's like, oh no, we're still objectifying children and we're still like putting them in like horrific, the horrific scenarios I can totally understand, but it's just like, oh hey, we decided to take that naval shot and we decided to take that setup. And so it's it's definitely understandable why like everybody, a couple of people, including myself, are still uncomfortable about it, but it's just the fantasy, the world that they've actually created is still so creative and complex and just the fantasy around this hole in the ground is still what keeps me coming back week by week as we delve deeper and deeper but it's still i would say it's about as good as season one like it's still on the same deal i'm trying to figure out if i liked the second half of the season of the first season better or if i liked the movie like even more so but uh yeah we're just gonna have to wait and see what um more horrific happenings end up uh leading through this season because they they say, hey, you know, the torture, the horrific uh, imagery and creatures, it's not going to stop. And I'm like, oh boy, I'm not looking forward to this. And then I guess, I'm try so the only other, let's see, the leftover from last season uh, is still Summertime Render. It is in that dangerous territory with every mystery thriller that happens is that does the finale stick the landing or does it fall apart under the weight of its own ambitions with the world that it's created and i think we're on episode 17 now and it still hasn't collapsed under the weight of its own expectations because it's still introducing new things it's still bringing more people into the fray All, every new piece of information that it decides to delve expands upon the story more and more and when it decides to go ham on its action it goes ham. OLM is fantastic when it comes to like just depicting regular everyday life and when the dynamic conflicts that emerge in the middle of all that shifts and everybody has to get moving. And they've done a really good job with layering those out in between the rest of the show and it's still fantastic. I really hope that by the end of the season it sticks the landing because that is what everybody was hoping for where it can still like stand on its own two feet and be not revered as a classic, but uh, as a good recommendation for anybody like getting into anime as a whole. And what's the last one? Oh yeah, Soul of the Night? No, Late Night? Uh, <laughs> Late Night with Nezna? Call of the Night, that's it. 
it's fine. It, it's the atmosphere is fantastic. The way they design the nightscapes in the middle of the city is honestly breathtaking with all the colors that they incorporate, whether it's neon, whether it's violet, whether they decide to go through and give it light or none at all. It's really fantastic how it's going on. I still am not too on board with the relationship between the main two, where it's fine. She acts childlike enough to make you understand why she'd be sticking around this boy for so long, but it's still awkward to a degree, but it's, and it wears its heart on a sleeve where it's mostly sexual tension rather than sexual fan service that goes through the rest of it, even though they give you more than enough looks at Nezuna because it's, instead of manic pixie hair dream girl, it's manic uh, vampire dream girl to kind of like fill in that kind of trope. So at the moment, it's fine. I'll continue to watch it, see how it goes, but for now, it is fine. But at least for the rest of the episode, I've been going through especially how I think about setting up this podcast and like what the demographic is, who am I aiming towards, like what exactly I want to do in the midst of it, or at least why I do it in the first place, which is not, I'm not going to get like too hypothetical and introspective about it, but it's... I was definitely getting thinking about a couple of the podcast panels that I was going through and all of the people that were, whether they were young or old, giving their perspectives and giving their knowledge about the industry and kind of figuring out what exactly they had to offer and what they wanted to do, especially when they had a platform, whether it was at a convention or online, to give out the knowledge and kind of help people find their way through an ever-changing landscape of this medium in particular. So in the midst of that, I was kind of thinking about how I was getting into the medium and what exactly I had as kind of like signs or given directions to kind of like, okay, so what exactly do you want to do? Like, what do you want to watch? Is there anything in particular? Like, do you like action? Do you like romance? Do you like a good thriller? Do you like specific comedies? Do you like dramas? Do you like uh, supernatural stuff? Do you like something that's more sci-fi? Like, how do you get into anime? And what do you continue to watch to scratch that itch and feed you more and more info and stuff about the medium? And I was kind of going through and something to kind of like add on my two cents because I'm not old enough to be around the time where everybody was going through VHS. And I'm not young enough to be going through this medium with a new pair of eyes because now that I'm so ingrained inside of the industry... And my perspective has changed and what I look for in anime uh, now compared to how I looked at anime back in 2011 is so vastly different and my priorities are definitely a lot more in a different space by comparison. But if there was anything that I wanted, which I would imagine there's just pl a plethora of recommendations and it's like, oh, well then, okay, so what do I do? Do I watch the seasonals? Do I watch the classics? Do I find something that's in between? Like, wh where exactly do I go because now there's no longer, like, a set piece. There never really was a set checklist of anime that you needed to watch in order to get into the medium, but, like, over the past 11 years, it's just been so ridiculously, or it just feels so much more saturated than it was in the beginning of the 2010s, where it felt like it found its footing in the 2010s, where it was more of a niche and something that people would get uh, stigmatized for in the 2000s, and it was a diehard hobby towards the 90s and uh, before then. 
But now, I guess the point that I'm trying to get across here is that, like, at least for a handful of episodes, not back-to-back-to-back, but a good way for me to, like, go through and give my two cents on shows that I feel like people would be interested in, depending on the genre itself, is something that I can at least go through and give, like, a handful of recommendations. And so, at least for today, the simple one, get that out of the way, I wanted to focus on shows that are action-oriented. The recommendations that I give here are definitely one, not ones that are, hey, this is a fantastic show that has action in it. It's more of a recommendation on if you are looking for action specifically. Do, if you want spectacle, good consistent fights, and a show that isn't necessarily the most perfectly well-rounded one, but something that you know that as soon as you jump into it, you know that you're going to be getting exactly what it says on the tin, fantastic, well-choreographed, dynamic, and pulse-pounding action that keeps you on the edge of your seat and gets you invested into the world regardless of whatever else goes through. I guess to start out with, I'm definitely going to be going into more, not necessarily older shows, but ones that are definitely not more in the public consciousness now. So it's like, say it's very recent and you just got into a lot of action shonen shows like Demon Slayer and Jujutsu Kaisen, which are both fantastic action series in their own right. Not well-rounded to a degree, and I like one more than the other, but if there's one thing that you can, like, give to Demon Slayer is that it is easily, like, one of the most, like, well-rounded and high-octane action series, like, in the present day by far. Regardless of what you say about Demon Slayer, saying that it has, like, mid-action is something that you cannot uh, throw into the fray, otherwise you get eaten alive. So... Show so kind of the same deal as Jujutsu Kaisen, bleh, Jujutsu Kaisen and Demon Slayer. Um, also, if you're getting into this in the same vein of like say My Hero Academia, because I could see even though that started, I believe in twenty, the anime started in 2014, 2015, that it's one of those shows where the action is good in small bursts. But I would imagine the main reason why is that. It, it does a lot of good shonen tropes and it does it well. It has a com- not necessarily a compelling main character, but the cast that surrounds him is definitely one of the more interesting pieces, as most shonen are. It's basically the strong core around the main character and everybody else is the like fine dressing that uh, revolves around it. So, same deal with Attack on Titan. I would say Attack on Titan is now more compelling as a drama than it is as a action series, but... If you want to see, like, high-octane 2D, 3D hybrid setups just like Demon Slayer, going back and re-watching, like, the first seasons of Attack on Titan are just ridiculous, especially when they get into the Titan fights, because what they were able to accomplish, what Studio Wit was able to do in those initial ones at the cost of their own sanity and their own livelihood, like, those 3D maneuver gear scenes and action set pieces were far and away some of the best like action pieces of animation that anybody saw in the 2010s period and then going a little earlier into that which i would imagine everybody is going to be recommending because it's like oh yeah full metal alchemist how could you not recommend an action show without full metal alchemist and that's kind of the same deal that when i got back to the initial part of the statement which is fma is the same deal where it has good spurts of fantastic action sequences compared to both the original and the remake, but it's definitely, you stick around there for more the grand narrative and the characters that surround it, which is still a very good show, but if it was like, if you are just coming to FMA for the action, it's a nice piece that's always there, but it's not something that you would recommend to somebody in particular. And so going even further back in time, 
now that we hit the 90s, it'll be just remiss for me to not mention stuff like either Dragon Ball or Yu Yu Hakusho. So Dragon Ball, I'm definitely mentioning it because of its legacy, and especially because even though I haven't watched all of it, I've the majority of the characters and the narrative pieces, I've gotten through most of Dragon Ball Z, especially through Dragon Ball Z Abridged. I didn't watch all of the fights that happened more recently in Super, but I have gone through to see stuff like Battle of Gods, Resurrection F, uh, Broly, and a handful of the fights that ended up happening in the uh, Universal Tournament or something, like Universe 7, Universe 9, I can't remember the exact number, but seeing the hype that surrounded Dragon Ball when it was like him versus Jiren and seeing Ultra Instinct and seeing how that was taking the community by storm and giving it like another quote-unquote revival to kind of see like what the community was responding to, and it was mostly positive. And it's that same deal where I would definitely be remiss not to recommend Dragon Ball, or at least the fights that it was able to go through and be the mainstay of just shonen battle tropes, even though most of it is, you know, like psychic uh, karate abilities, but now it's mostly, uh, you know, psychic. But it's still something that has stood the test of time, especially with the new fights that they're still being able to consistently pull out. It's still going to get me excited, and I'm going to go see uh, Superhero in theaters, like the, the new Dragon Ball Z movie, once that hits ca uh, Canadian theaters, and I will definitely be still be a part of it, even though I'm not as well-rounded and well-ingrained into the fandom as most, but I would still be remiss not to go through as to bring that on as a piece of legacy content that has still stood the test of time. And one that I watched more recently would have definitely been Yu Yu Hakusho. And it's the same deal where, as a lot of these other ones, it does get slow, and the pacing is definitely off considering it is a more than 100-episode series, but I would be remiss not to mention just the Dark Tournament saga that ends up happening in the middle of that, where it's just... it has There have been tournament sagas since the 80s and even leading into the 2020s, even now, but what it has done, like, it is still, like, the staple. Like, even through My Hero, even through Dragon Ball, even through Black Clover, or any of the other shonens that have tried and to perfect that formula, nobody has come close. Like, maybe My Hero in Season 2, but nobody else has come close to, uh, like, just the hype and the energy that brought through the Dark Tournament saga that happened inside of Yu Yu Hakusho. So, it's not, like, if you want to be somebody who just wants to go through and experience that, because there's not... There is, like, good, nice context for you to go through, but just, I would be remiss not to include the Dark Tournament Saga, where it would just be, like, an, like animation and action set pieces at a very consistent and high quality, like, back and, like, back and forth and back and forth and consistently, like, bringing out all the stops, even bringing up, like, the final big bad, like, setting up what the tournament was meant to be and how that all plays out as the tournament goes along was just, just fantastic to watch all the way through. And two more that I kind of want to get through where both of them are in the same vein where they are long, action-oriented shows, but there is a good, also, component that revolves around these two specifically that I had to, like, go through and incorporate because it is definitely not only the physical but the mental battles that happen in the midst of these two, even though it's incredibly difficult to recommend them, especially with how long they are now, and some of which are, like, even putting out stuff today— which I'll get the first one out of the way is JoJo's, because I'm, I'm still in the middle of going through JoJo's. I still haven't watched part six, Stone Ocean. But now, after going through all the first five parts, it is definitely up there for 
um, mental, like mental battles and fights that are devised and decided by strategy rather than pure strength. And Chocho's ridiculous as it may be because of the diversity of their stands that have been going through. Because the first two seasons are definitely a little... Like, they're definitely different considering it is mostly big Hokutono Ken, you know, the man with the bigger muscles wins and the one with the bigger power or the better powers are able to go through. But at least through parts three, four, and five, the battles that go through those series and how just difficult and how intricately set up those battles are because person has X power that has X strengths and X weaknesses, where the other person has power Y and the same deal with Y powers and Y weaknesses. And the way that Araki, who is the author of JoJo's, is able to create a plethora of stand users with their own strengths and weaknesses and still have the opportunity to make it varied and have more than enough strategy involved to make the outcome still very inconsequential depending on the opponents that get lined up, it, it's just a testament to see like how well he's still able to incorporate these ideas even now, I think he's getting into part eight, and he's still going strong. So I'm definitely going to have to like give him a recommendation for that one, if that's what you're looking for. And then for an action series that is strategy as well as strength, I would definitely have to go with the uh, Hunter Hunter remake because that's also like same deal as FMAB. And even though it's been a while since I've seen FMAB to kind of like give it uh, like a good to give myself a good idea about how I feel about it now, Hunter Hunter was something that was a lot more recent that I watched and something that is still, you know, not necessarily a set of power levels, but it is a different set of strengths and like same deal, strengths, weaknesses, and powers that are all dependent on the wielder and how they use those in battle, depending on who their opponent is, why they fight, in what set of circumstances that has brought them to this moment, will it give them a specific tactical advantage? Not only does the do the main characters have to consistently improve themselves and regain the resolve but they also have to go through and figure out when is it a good time to use the specific powers that are incorporated to them and so it's not the easiest recommendation for me to give because it is a i think 151 episodes long but if we're talking about a long-running shonen that is something that incorporates well-rounded ideas as well as well-rounded fights both in the strategical strategical in more the tactical and the dynamic sense i would definitely give hunter hunter like a fantastic recommendation for anybody who's willing to put in the time and so now the ones that i want to recommend here i wouldn't say cream of the crop but i would like these were the ones that i come down to where it's just they're short they're good recommendations in terms of not only how dynamic and how consistent their action set pieces are, but they're also short enough to bring people in and give them an opportunity to watch something that is more than enough diverse, but also something that respects their time. Except for one. There's there's one there's uh, one action series on this list in particular that is still long by comparison, but I couldn't be helped to just put it on there because it would be a crime not to. So, movie-wise, I would definitely go back to Bones in the 2000s and recommend you Sword of the Stranger, because... What they were able to do and what Yutaka Nakamura, before he was known as Yudapon, was able to incorporate is like good set pieces and a story that's just functional enough for you to get from like point A to point B. But just the fights that get like thrown out into this hour and a half runtime are just nothing short of a spectacle. And if it's just like, oh, top 10 anime fights of all time, and it's, it's really like tough to line those up nowadays. But just the final fight in this movie is definitely something that cannot be understated and can must be experienced 
regardless of when you ended up getting into the medium as a whole. So just sort of the stranger, like give Nana, give these guys some love because they will definitely give it to you back in spades with fantastic action sequences and spectacular swordplay. Um, one that's about the same length, but I'll definitely go with the, with the uh, OVA, ONA, CLK, FLCL, just, yeah, fully coolie. Um, it is the same deal where it's the characters and the story that is completely nonsensical and something that is going to be like a, can grant a varied set of mixed reactions between a lot of different people, but it is a spectacle nonetheless in every single episode that goes through. The fights, what Gainax was able to accomplish like back in the in their uh, golden days, what they were able to do with different animation styles, stuff that just rendered and ran their fucking computers into the ground that turned those into saunas because of how much computational power it did for like specific like minute long gags. It, it, like it's actually crazy. But getting back to the topic at hand, that the action that happens in every single episode throughout this series is like nothing short of uh, amazing. Everything that gets involved in, inside of the show, you can feel the passion, you can feel the creativity, you can feel the violence, you can feel the comedy, you can feel just the relationships being built between these characters that are like fantastic in their own right, but the action set pieces that go in between the rest of them are just something that I cannot recommend to the rest of it enough. Because it's something that is never going to be mid. It is either going to get hated for how ridiculous and up its own ass it is, or it's going to be loved and cherished depending on the reaction and the relationship that somebody decides to have for the rest of it. But the one thing that I can guarantee you is that the action set pieces are going to be out of this world, literally. And then, let's see, another shorthand to add to the list, even though it's been a couple of years since I've seen it, just the fact that it exists is more than enough of a reason for me to put it on. Just fantastic uh, swordplay, another setup. And lo and behold, Samuel L. Jackson voicing the main characters of this series, and that's Afro Samurai. And so that was something that was ridiculous that ended up happening in the 2000s. My dude loves, <laughs> Samuel loves his animation. And the fact that he was able to incorporate himself into this animated production was just absolutely fantastic. It is just swordplay, it's fights, it's bloody, it's gory, it's ultraviolent. Like something along that and Ninja Scroll are definitely two that I kind of like put inside of the same category. And it's action is di as dynamic as Sword of the Stranger and FLCL, but if it's ultraviolence that you're also craving, then Afro Samurai and Ninja Scroll are definitely ones that you should even watch. Now, finally, the one that's the longest of anything that I ended up coming into contact with, but I would be remiss not to include on this list, is like, probably the best sports show that I've seen. Well, no, the second best sports show. The other one, Ping Pong in particular, is better because of its characters, and that's what I focus more on. But if we're talking about you know, more than enough development and action set pieces that stretch out for a couple of episodes that incorporate itself into the sport that it's depicting, then Hajime no Ippo Fighting Spirit is just the boxing anime to end all boxing anime. And I know there aren't a lot inside of that particular box, but what Hajime no Ippo is able to do with the setup and the action set pieces that do stretch itself out for several episodes and how it's able to cre uh, create the tension and keep up the momentum through multiple episodes of a fight that is going to be moving along for several rounds and several times and like mostly an arc surrounding that one interaction in general 
It's just ridiculous how hype. If there was one particular word to describe the majority of the fights that end up going through, not like even towards the end of the series, but in, through New Challenger and even through Rising, that now that it has three seasons, it's over 100 episodes, but dude, it's just hype. Pure, unadulterated hype for the fights that happen inside of the rings that these fighters decide to go and engage in. It is ridiculously well set and dynamic and just has all the octane and energy that you would need to get through and try and figure out like what and it's like same deal best fights well i've got this is probably the only one where it's like oh yeah no this fight in particular goes on for like six episodes and it is easily one of the best fights in anime that i have seen period so it's motivational it's definitely something that I listen to when I'm at the gym for the soundtrack, considering how well it's able to get you into the moment. And I would definitely recommend it as easily, not the best sports anime, but the best action sports anime that I can like add onto this list. And now for action in particular, um, basically shoot, shooting us back to the 2000s, but with a tone and a setting that brings us back to like the 80s and the 90s is Black Lagoon. And Black Lagoon is definitely one of those shows that you should listen to the dub because it is just a fucking riot listening to everybody just cuss like there is no tomorrow. All the action set pieces in here like <laughs> bring you back to the, like something out of an Arnold Schwarzenegger flick, whether you're in The Terminator, whether you're in Commando, whether you're in Predator, whether you're in Rocky. Like there's just so many different pieces. And I know Rocky is Stallone, but that's beside the point. Just all of these action set pieces feel like they were ripped out of a place that they were motivated by all those classic, uh, ridiculous uh, action flicks that were like set in the 90s. And... It has been a while since I've gone through, because, like, even the most recent part of it that I ended up watching, which was Roberta's Blood Trail, kind of goes even more off the rails than what, what was once previously thought. And it is just still a fantastic action romp that, if that is what you are looking in particular, something to just scratch that itch and to be thrown back into a time where everybody was so fucking angry and so fucking uh, gun-toned, and so fucking gun-heavy that it's like, dude, this is the one for you. Like, no questions asked. And so now I guess I can throw these last two shows into a basket since they were done and written by the same uh, author, one. But, yeah, no, if you haven't seen the action spectacle that is the first season of One Punch Man, holy hell do you need to, like, go through and, like, put this at the top of your list. Because it is easily the most consistently well-animated, well-choreographed, and well-paced action series uh, that I have ever seen, and nothing has topped it since. I understand that people have their gripes with Season 2. Season 2 is fine. It was still the same, like, same writing-wise, same spectacle-wise. They were still doing, like, action stuff inside of the fighting tournament, and honestly, the centipede was fantastic in, in the way that they were able to incorporate it, but... What Shingo Natsume and his crew at Madhouse, not even Madhouse, just all across the industry, were able to coalesce and able to create underneath this set of circumstances is something that I have not seen since. And as an action series, as a pure-blooded action series, it is the one that not only brings the most dynamic and fluid movement and cuts and animation, period, but the set pieces themselves are just so ridiculous ridiculously over the top at times that it still like gets you well enough engrossed in the world and st 
still like brings the heat. It still brings the thunder and it still brings the one punch that can legitimately split the world in half. So at the very least, if you were turned off by what people were saying about, you know, One Punch Man from season two, go back and reignite your love for this series with the first season because you will not be disappointed. And I guess the other one that I had to ref recommend considering that it is still by the same dude, but with a more similar art style akin to what his classic comics looks like would definitely be Mob Psycho 100. And I was struggling to try and figure out where to put this, whether it would be a drama, whether it would be a comedy, whether it would be a supernatural aspect. But whenever I go back and rewatch the action pieces that they were able to incorporate inside of this show and that it didn't go stale and it didn't plateau, in fact, it fucking rose and we were up going towards a peak rather than settling and staying still. It is just fantastic. And how well they're able to go and incorporate not only the story and the emotions and the vigor that all the characters are being shown, but also give it an incredibly strong emotional core, like Full Metal Alchemist, like a lot of the shows that I recommended previously, where it's further up there on my list because it's the same deal. Not only is the action fantastic, but the emotional core that it holds and the lessons that it's able to give everybody that watches it is definitely something that is truly special. And I'm extremely excited to see how Bones is going to be able to complete this series and finish it off with season three because it was just pointed out that it's already done. Like, the animation team that Bones gave, because Bones has, like... <laughs> now that I think about it, Bones has a lot of uh, pieces on this list in terms of like FMAB, in terms of My Hero, but it's just what they were able to do and the time and the production scheduling and just the organization that they were able to give this series because they know it was something special, the production's already done way in advance. This was, the, the third season's production was finished, you know, at the beginning of this season, at the beginning of summer 2022, like more than three months before the rest of it. And you would think that, yeah, that should be, you know, common practice, but with how rigorous and how ridiculously stressful the entire anime industry is, the fact that that kind of organization was still able to go through and get done under these sets of circumstances is just nothing short of not only a miracle, but it gives me hope that they're going to be able to finish this series and leave it off with a strong enough note to maybe become a classic, but I don't want to give it any more expectations that people have already given it. So I'm really excited to see how that goes. I'm really hoping that if you haven't seen Mob Psycho yet, that by the time that this is out, you should go and give it a watch because not only does it have fantastic action sequences, not only does it give a good story with characters that inspire you to be a better you, but the emotional core that just moves along at a steady pace to still give us some kind of optimism about people. That's definitely the one that brings it into the upper echelons of its contemporaries and something that I really hope turns into something special. So I think I'm going on. I have a couple more opportunities for different genres that I'll be able to go through and make this like a, not a routine, but something that I can go and recommend 
and give people who are just getting into anime as a medium and give them like a good baseline of recommendations if they're looking for something in particular like romance, like comedy, like sci-fi, like drama. At least these episodes in particular, I'm hoping will at least give them more than enough of an idea about where to start. And then afterwards, they'll be able to formulate their own ideas about what they like and dislike and what will be more inside of their strike zone and what they're more interested in, what they're more comfortable with. So at least in the future, I'm going to be focusing on finishing up that uh, final episode about our conventions. And then moving on after that, we'll be able to figure out more ideas for episodes moving forward. So uh, thanks for stopping by. Cheers. Thank you.